When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The seven chakras, swirling vortices of energy, positioned throughout our body from the base of the spine to the crown of the head. For thousands of years, this ancient wisdom has been passed on from master to disciple. What are the functions of these energy centers? And could these chakras help you unlock your destiny and find your true purpose? Welcome to My Seven Chakras, and now, your host, Aditya Jai Kumar. What's up, Action Tribe? AJ here, host and founder of My Seven Chakras, my7chakras.com, the show where we help you calm your mind, relax your nervous system, and experience deep states of bliss. In today's episode, I chat with Ellen Meredith about the subtle and not so subtle ways our body communicates wisdom and messages to us and what we can really do to engage in a dialogue, receive the messages that we need and really transform our lives. And I know that many of you uh, find this topic, this area, this theme really interesting uh, to, to, to know because guess what? Our body is constantly communicating us and it's up to us really to decipher the messages that we are being sent all right so so hang on this topic is something that i know that you love but if you like the work that we do if you'd like to support my efforts in particular then make sure that you write us an itunes rating and review on itunes or just hit follow on spotify and the benefits are twofold firstly um, you're going to s- let these uh, platforms know that uh, our show is good and that way the algorithm will spread our word. But also, you'll not miss out on future episodes because we release exciting, and epic, and inspirational episodes from time to time. All right, so make sure you hit subscribe, make sure you hit follow. And with that being said, let's bring on our special guest for today, Ellen Meredith. Ellen Meredith is the author of Your Body Will Show You the Way and the Language Your Body Speaks. She has been in practice since 1984 as an energy healer, conscious channel, and medical intuitive, helping over 10,000 clients and students worldwide. As an energy medicine practitioner, Ellen helps clients engage with the body's energies to activate healing in so many different ways. So this is her second time that she's coming on our show, and I'm so grateful that she has decided to come on our show at just the opportune moment, and it's always divine timing, right? So welcome, Ellen, to our show once again. Thank you, AJ. I'm so happy to be here and really excited I can feel some of your energy, uh, some of your audience out there, their energy. And I'm really excited to to kind of dip in and come have a conversation with you all. That is amazing. That's amazing. And, uh, y- y- you know, um, 
this particular episode is going to be different in the sense that we're not going to quite start from the very beginning, which we did in the previous episode. But I really am curious, how did you first come across the presence of subtle energy? Oh, was how did I first come across it? Well, you know, I was um, originally trained by my inner teachers mm-hmm. and um, they kind of showed up by accident. I, I was a, I'm a writer and I this was years and years ago, almost 50 years ago. And I had just finished writing a novel and I was looking for inspiration. You know, where's the next idea? And my grandmother, who is dead, showed up behind me with a message And I thought, oh, how great my imagination supplied grandma. And I wrote the message down. And then through a series of coincidences, I ended up at a psychic fair the next day. And I had never been to such a thing, but someone showed up at my door and said, I'm going to this fair. You want to go? And the psychic, when she looked at me, it was like one of those $10 readings, right? Mm -hmm. She said, your maternal grandmother is standing behind you with a message. And then she repeated the message that I'd gotten. And I was hooked. This was like, oh, my gosh, this was um, playground time for me because I thought, what is this? What is this voice that I heard? And um, the psychic said, well, you're getting lots of guidance. You just need to slow down and listen. And I did that. And my inner teachers came in and started to teach me. And I'm making it sound like it was all a voice in my head. But this training was a full body training. A concept would come to me. Maybe it would be an image. Maybe it would be a sensation. Maybe it would be a storyline. There were different forms that came in. It might be a coincidence with someone else, and it would light up. And I'd have to say, what is going on here? What's underneath this weird coincidence or this this strange configuration? And so I, I went through this very intensive training. It's been 50 years now. And it taught me how to listen to what's to hear energy, to hear and speak what I call the language of energy, which is the language of subtle energy. So that's the very beginning. It was this weirdo woo woo thing that I wasn't expecting. I, you know, it wasn't in my um, my worldview to have like a, a really um, out there experience with guidance, but it got my curiosity going. And what I want to say out of that whole stupid, that whole story, it's not a stupid story, you know, it's a kind of funny one, but is that the, maybe the pathway into hearing and perceiving energies is curiosity. It's being willing to say, well, what's going on? And then using everything you know about receiving information from your body, your sight, your sound, you know, what you hear, what you feel, what you smell, what you know directly, what you what catches your eye. Use all of that to awaken your recognition of the communication because it's going on all the time. I mean, just under the surface of our awareness, body, mind, and spirit are communicating using energy all the time. So it's about getting our minds to recognize what we've been trained our whole lives to tune out. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. Now, this uh, learning that you had, was it uh, formative? Uh, sorry, was it like a human being that was uh, teaching you? Was it some course that you did? Was it some program? Or was it the other thing that you write about, which was some entities or beings or, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, 
streams of wisdom that came through you in those formative years. Talk to us a bit more about that. What type of learning was this in your initial initial years? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, you know, I perceived them, I called them my councils, and I perceived them as group consciousness. They didn't have a lot of form for me. I'm not terribly visual or anything. I did occasionally get a teacher that I saw something, but mostly I just perceived them, and, and I'm very sound-oriented, so I'd hear um, the thoughts in my head sort of forming uh, guidance, and I would write it down and then look at it later to say, well, what does that mean, what I just heard? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but what they taught me to do very quickly was to tune into, as you say, the streams of energy. We have things called meridians in Chinese medicine that are energy streams, and they're not just wirings in our body. They actually come from somewhere and go to somewhere like a stream. And we can dip into them to learn all kinds of things about our um, our, our makeup, what who we are and what, what our soul wants to do and what our, our mind and body are doing with that information. So it's a whole inner landscape of knowing that I was trained how to tune into. And that's what I try to do in my book is to just teach people how to play in that landscape, to go in there and, and learn from your body, from, from what's, what is communicating. And it's a whole body experience. It's not just like the right answer machine up in the, up in our head. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that you're more of a auditory uh, intuitive in the sense that you can hear things and did you say you can feel things, but not so much see things? Is that correct? Well, I nobody told me that you had to be one or the other. Okay. So I use all my senses. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I'll smell something and say, what is that? You know, and it, it's something that I know is not in my environment. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, what is that? You know, what is that communicating to me, that, that smell that I just got? So um, I really, yeah, I don't like to label myself as one or the other, but I am as a person, very tonal, very sound oriented oh, and, gosh. and also very kinesthetic. I feel things very easily. Mm -hmm. And, um, some of your listeners may, um, really identify with this. Sometimes I feel things and it comes into my body before I know it intellectually. So I'm really good at somatizing, getting weirdo symptoms and weirdo things that seem like illness and have to decode what's going on because it bypassed my brain. And then my brain has to catch up to what my body is asking for or is trying to say. So that's that's called kinesthetic. And I have a whole lot of that as well in my makeup. But I really think we all have all of them. And uh, you know, the more we can develop our instrument and, and our um, receptors, the better off we are. So that's, yeah, I don't like to pigeonhole the gift because why not be, you know, ambidextrous or multidextrous, whatever you call that? Definitely, definitely, for sure. Do you, would you say that there is a, a spectrum of uh, sensitivity where on one hand, uh, you know, you have all these different uh, experiences that we um, get to experience on a daily basis in modern life, like, uh, you know, being on the phone or receiving email notifications. We wake up and have coffee, which is like a stimulant. So it's stimulating your senses. And in a way, we it seems like we are overstimulated. And when we become overstimulated, we become desensitized to receiving these very subtle, nuanced messages that might be a faint smell or 
you know, something that we notice in the peripheral of our eyesight or something that we hear, that could be on one end where a person is desensitized because they're overstimulated. On the other spectrum, you might have somebody who's a hypersensitive person in that they sense too much of it, so much so that they're very scared or uncomfortable, right? So how do you find the, how do you find the good center in this, in this scenario? Wow, that's a that's a big question um, and a lot to unpack in that question. It's a good one, but it, there's a lot to unpack. Mm-hmm. First of all, I think most of us in this culture have been trained to think and look at ourselves from the outside in. Mm-hmm. We look outside ourselves for authority and for guidance and for knowing what's true. And we're really trained from an early age to turn off our intuition and our inner knowing and our senses even. And so when you start to turn your senses down, but if that's how we're meant to navigate as an instrument, we try to do things to stimulate ourselves to get get more, you know, to turn the volume up. So our lives have a very high volume because we're trying to get that feedback from out here to, so we can navigate and feel safe and, and, and feel uh you know, met in some ways. And you you can think about that, like with food, that if you don't stop and really taste what you're eating and really pay attention to the act of feeding and nourishing yourself, it's really easy to just shovel the food in and keep stuffing because you don't get the feedback of satisfaction. Like, okay, now I've had enough. You know, the whole system gets dysregulated and that can happen on both ends of the spectrum where someone has reacted to so much outer stimulation that they've shut the world out and gone inward, but then the inner stimulation can become too loud. So I think that in order to to regulate yourself, I mean, first of all, learn some energy medicine. And that's what I teach in both of my books is lots of tools to rebalance your energies and your, your, uh, your instrument. But beyond that, I think we need to look at to what extent do I let the outer world define who and what I am and tell me who and what I should be? And to what extent am I guided from within? Am I listening to inner wisdom or the voice of my soul or, or sort of knowing who I am as a creature and as an instrument and trying to play the music of my soul on that instrument and really getting honest with ourselves about, you know, I had to get honest with myself to say, you know, I rarely pay attention when I eat and I always eat too much because I just am not that feedback system got disrupted. And I think most of us walk around with extremely disrupted feedback systems. You know, we do check our emails 100 times a day instead of twice or three times because we're yearning for that connection. And if we can't connect in within ourselves, we look outside ourselves for connection and we get into those addictive practices where we need louder, louder, more, more, and et cetera. So I think another answer to your question is something that my teachers said a lot and that they said really early. They said, if you don't know what else to do to get balance, just connect. And they meant connect in with yourself. And um, I teach several exercises in the book on how can I just really simply, when my brain's you know full of garbage, how can I really simply just connect? I could teach a little exercise, even for people who can't hear it. Um, if, if you're not watching the, the video, I could teach one that may speak to your listeners because it uses the chakras. 
Would you like that to just try one? Before that, we're definitely going to go there. Uh, but I, I want to delve a little bit more into um, some of the ways in which our body, our energy body in particular, gets disturbed or blocked. Because I think that, especially in today's age, uh, due to so much of volatility that's happening around the world, so much of disturbance and change, and uh, influences that might influence our energetic body and we might not even know about that so for somebody who's listening right now what are some ways in which our energy body can get disturbed or blocked that might create issues down the line and then later on we can definitely you know learn to you know uh, use our chakras or to cleanse and balance in that sense okay well it's interesting because that concept of energy body is something that um, i've kind of retooled a little bit I really see our, us as a spectrum from spirit to mind to body. And we're all of those things. That's, all of that is our energy body. So this physical body of mine is part of my energy body. My mind is part of my energy body and my spirit. And they're just sort of me existing in different dimensions or uh, different places of uh, manifestation almost. Maybe that's too abstract, but, you know, sort of think of yourself as a spectrum spanning the whole thing. So anything can disturb you at any place on that. Something can disturb your physical body. I, I fell down um, playing pickleball this year and I broke my wrist. And I was amazed at how this tiny broken bone in my hand could affect everything. It could affect my energies. It could affect my digestion. It could affect my sense of balance even though you know I didn't necessarily need my wrist for balance, everything got jarred by that physical injury. And by the same token, I'm sure most, you, you probably know it, I know it, most of us know it, that when we talk to someone, they're really nasty to us and they just use words, we can feel really wounded. We can be, feel really deeply wounded by words, by our, our mental self being disturbed in that way or or when we encounter someone whose reality it feels like a lie to us it may may or may not feel like a lie to them but to us it feels untrue we can be really shaken to the core and when we are not living our soul's truth we can get really sick i mean you i'm sure you've known people who you know had cancer or something and in the process of healing their cancer they woke up to the ways they weren't fully living their lives and ways they wanted to change and be more um, vital in how they live their lives. So, so in terms of when something disturbs us on any of those levels, we need to know not just how to rebalance it, because though balance is great, but how to work with what's happening and support ourselves towards wellness, whatever that means in that moment and um, wholeness. And, and, you know, I like to use the image of this is my instrument and my mind is, is the musician and we're both trying to play the music of the soul. And, you know, that's how it speaks to me to say, how can I work with my instrument so it plays better music? And how can I work with my ability to play so that I'm, I'm more fluent with my instrument and how can I really access that music from my soul and bring it through? And, and it's an ongoing thing. I mean, I don't think we ever get the answer in one moment. I think it's an, it's ongoing challenge. And um, so when you say, how do you rebalance? 
I think it's by participating and speaking the language and it's a relationship. You know, how do you, how do you calm your infant when they're upset? It's not a formula. You're building a relationship with that infant. And sometimes you rock her and sometimes you change her diaper and sometimes you feed her and sometimes you just hold her and, and sing a song. I mean, there, we have so many ways to respond to that infant when she's out of balance or in trouble. And I think we need to give ourselves the same courtesy and say, I'm going to meet you as, as a creature and as a, as a mind and as a spirit. And I'm going to communicate with you in an ongoing way so that I can participate in creating the best life possible. And I mean, that's a really big answer, but then in throughout both books, I have, um, explore explorations and exercises and things you can do in a moment that relate to a specific maybe type of imbalance. For example, if you get ungrounded, what are, you know, 25 ways you can get grounded. And so I do, I do relate it to sort of what's the purpose of what you're trying to do. You know, you, you mentioned that uh, it almost feels like it's a symbiotic relationship where if we are seeking balance, then we, our mind needs to work along with our body in order to reach that state of homeostasis, perhaps, right? So how does our body uh, communicate with us? What are some ways in which it does this? Okay. Well, the body loves to communicate through symptoms, <laughs> little aches and pains and, and um, little ways that, you know, you're walking and suddenly you find it hard to walk because, and you feel almost like you've sprained your ankle, you know, something that, that calls your attention. Um, it likes to communicate through images that show up in our brain or thoughts that show up directly in our head or um, the attention getting drawn to something uh, through sensation, you know, suddenly we'll feel cold and we know, gosh, I'm not cold. Why do I suddenly feel cold? I mean, all the ways we get information from the world around us, we also get information from the world within us. But we've we've been taught by our cultures to tune those out. We're not, you know, it's just the parents say, oh, no, no, that's that's not true. That's not happening. And we learn to just kind of ignore them and keep going. And then the body shouts louder and louder with louder and louder symptoms until it's an illness. And once it's an illness, it forces us to stop. And when we stop and rest and address it, then maybe we hear a little better. And so, you know, we can recalibrate. So I think we have to expect that the messages don't always come in direct knowing. They come almost like hints and wisps. I, you know, I call them shadows that you have to kind of say there's something here and investigate and train your mind to unpack. Well, what is this that I've been, uh, what's this communication about? What's my body trying to tell me that all of a sudden my stomach hurts? It didn't five minutes ago. I didn't eat anything, but all of a sudden my stomach is clenched tight. Who's talking here and what's she trying to say to me? And I tune in and somebody says, well, that's me, you know, and I see, oh, that was when I just turned the news on in the background and I stopped listening to what, what was going on for me in my present moment. Or that happened when that the phone rang and it was my mother-in-law or, you know, whoever, whatever. It's, you know, we can trace what the body's saying by unpacking the meaning of the event and, and the symptoms, et cetera, for ourselves. But you can't look it up in a book because your body didn't read the book. So it won't know when the, when the author says, when you have this, it means that. It's like, well, good luck. 
because, you know, unless your body really read that book and studied it, she may be saying, she or he may be saying something very different. Yeah, I can definitely resonate with that because uh, most recently what happened was uh, I was in a phase where I was about to take a decision that was not in alignment with my soul's calling. And a lot of times, right, uh, the decision that you take, uh, your your body already knows you know, long-term, medium-term perspective, that's not the direction that you're supposed to head in. Yes, it might make sense immediately, but long-term it doesn't, right? Because the body wants to prevent you from climbing the right ladder, which is on the wrong wall, so to speak, which you'll realize later on. And so what ended up happening was I, I sort of felt sick. You know, I felt sick that day. And then my, uh, you know, my dad was like, you know, have some medicine. Because obviously, uh, you know, our parents want us to feel better immediately, right? But I intuitively knew that the solution was not just take a pill and feel better. There was a message that was my body was trying to tell me, which I got to know later on in that day because I did some journaling also, right? So that was one example, isn't it? But how do you, I try to wrestle with that sometimes. How do you differentiate between something like that and something where, uh, I just have fried chicken in the afternoon and I'm feeling, you know, my stomach's gone bad and it's literally I've taken a bad health decision, right? Uh, as opposed to like a like an intuitive message that, I, that my body's trying to pass on to me. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to be a bit of a detective and you have to sort of say, you know, what was going on before this happened. You, But I go in and dialogue with it. And one thing that I... I teach in this book that I think is kind of fun is um, I go in and ask it for a name. Like, what's your name? And it's not, it's not like stomach ache. You know, I mean, the culture has names for things, but as I say, well, who's in there, you know, who wants to talk and it'll say, Oh, Hector or something. And I'll just say, okay, Hector, what can I do for you right now? What's going on? And Hector might say, Oh, you know, you need to just shut the doors and turn all the sound off and go to bed. Or, you know, I might get an image of drink a lot of water or, you know, Hector will tell me something that I need and I'll try it and see if that shifts. Not to get rid of Hector, but he becomes a teacher in that moment. So your your stomach ache, Hector might say, you know, lay off the fried chicken. And I say, okay, good idea. Sorry, Hector. And he says, fine, but really, I'm going to keep you in bed for an hour or something or, you know, drink a lot of water. Hector can tell me what he needs. And I don't know, need to know where he comes from or who he is. But I might then unpack the meaning and say, well, what, what does that name mean to me? Hector means to, to tease someone or to bother someone. And, you know, I might think, oh, Hector, Vector, hmm, sounds like Vector. Maybe I need to think about what direction I'm taking, you know. And so the name that your subconscious comes up with or, or that part of your body comes up with often will teach you a lot about the nature of the messenger. So I'm getting to know that messenger, that stomach ache as a teacher, as a messenger, and I'm building relationships. And I'm letting him or her talk to me through imagery, through words, through ideas, through actions, you know, simple guidance, like turn left here <laughs> or, you know, un unhook your phone for half an hour and just breathe. And what I found is that when I do that, when I rename it or ask it for a name, I can often get a new framework for it to say, oh, this really feels like something that's telling me to pay attention rather than something that I did this morning that didn't, that didn't work out. 
And I can go in and I can do things like, um, you know, tap it or sing a song to it or, uh, um, or use a rhythm on it or, or bring a color. I can bring something that's a, you know, that's a pretty color and put it over and see if that shifts the energy of it. And frequently it does. If, if we interact with our body in these moments that are small and, and focused, what happens is that it's like a jigsaw puzzle. You begin to put together the bigger pieces as you did in your story. That was a beautiful story of how you realized, oh, by the end of the day, it took you a while, but you figured out it wasn't fried chicken and it probably was that decision that didn't sit well. You know, you couldn't stomach that decision. So I also pay attention to where it shows up in my body and does that body have symbolism for me? Personal, personal symbolism. A lot of us go through, you know, things in life, sometimes small things and sometimes not so small things that leave an impact or an imprint um, in our bodies and minds. Uh, some people call this trauma and trauma can be the big T trauma where you go to uh, a war zone and that uh, traumatizes you for the rest of your life. Or maybe something bad happens when you're in your childhood and that traumatizes you and appears from time to time, uh, preventing you from taking steps that are in alignment with your soul's calling. And sometimes it might be small trauma. You fall down, that's also trauma, but trauma with a small T. Uh, from an energetic standpoint, what, what is trauma really? Okay, for me, trauma is energy that has been knocked off balance and, and then not rebalanced. Uh, so what happens is we are designed to learn from experience. Like if I touch a hot stove and burn myself, I'm designed to feel aversion next time I'm near a flame so I don't touch it again and get burned all over again. We're designed to learn that way. And I call that your gatekeeper, the part of you that, that protects you and keeps you safe and stores experiences. So when we have an, an unpleasant or difficult experience or a painful experience in particular, um, if, if we just if we heal from it right away, if, if I burn my finger and then I put aloe on it and I kiss it and I get a lot of love and attention and I, I learn what happened and how to avoid it, then it doesn't implant as trauma. The gatekeeper says, oh, okay, now I know how to deal with that in the future and I'm not going to be freaked out. I just know how to deal with it. But if we don't get that help in that moment of those small T traumas or the big T traumas and we can't move that energetic imbalance to a better place, we start to protect that part of ourselves. The gatekeeper starts to either pull in similar experiences so it can finally heal or reject experiences that might be similar because it, does, it doesn't yet know, think it knows how to deal with that. So I see trauma as um, energy that has, not, that has been impacted or hasn't learned how to move. And I see that the... Um, the antidote to trauma is to learn how to work with your energies and move them and, and meet them. And again, I mean, you can have someone who feels totally traumatized because someone stole their petticoat when they were a kid and someone who has healed from, you know, a car accident that was really much more traumatizing to their body, not because one is good and bad or hard, you know, one was harder than the other, but because if we don't, resolve the energies and find our balance we start we limp through life with that imbalance as our new normal and so um i don't see it as much as um clearing trauma as it is 
revisiting the energy and bringing the story to a better conclusion and not just the data of the story, the energy story. So if you were really um, freaked out when you were three by, you know, somebody with long hair, and now every time you see someone with long hair, you freak out, you need to learn how to balance your energies in the presence of, of someone with long hair. And because we don't learn how to balance our energies, we don't learn how to clear trauma when it's happening and it gets backed up in the system and it compounds. So um, I think trauma is like all other energy. We just have to be able to get to where it lives and clear it. And I, I do teach lots of things in the books on how to do that as well. You know, just the pragmatics of it, because if we don't learn how to communicate with our energies and take care of our energies, then we can't be mad if we're like really backed up, you know, if we have things that go wrong and we don't know what to do. Like you've implied, I think storytelling plays a great role, right? Because uh, the wound might be the same, but if we feel that it happened for us rather than to us, all of a sudden we feel much more empowered. We are able to move on and we feel that we are much more in control of our lives rather than being a victim. Would you say that's right? You know, I think that um, that's a really wonderful observation. And I, you know, I think that how we frame our experience is very important to how we store it in our memory banks, but also how what we get from it. Like I like to the the example I like to use is um, if I'm driving and so on the road and someone cuts me off. I can go into all this like, oh, that dang, you know, and cursing and being mad and hating that person. It doesn't do anything for my energies and it doesn't do anything for their energies. So what I like to do in the moment and say, what's a story in which that behavior makes sense to that person so that I can feel some compassion? So usually I say, okay, they're rushing to the hospital because their wife is about to have twins and this is the first child and they really want to, he wants to be there for his twins. And that's why he cut me off because he's in such a hurry to get there and be there for his wife. And then what I feel is, well, bless you. You know, I hope you get there safely. Don't, don't cut anyone else off. Just try to get there for your wife. I put it in a story that cleans my energy and supports his energies. And I like to do that a lot. I feel like um, we should, we need to take a little more authorship in our lives, a little more um, claim our stories, the stories we tell ourselves, the stories other people tell us and frame it differently. You know, if you go around saying my husband dumped me, that puts you in the victim seat. It may be that your husband left really quickly and you felt dumped in that moment. But the way we frame what happened really tells the energies what to do. If you say, my husband reached the end of what he could do in this relationship and he left and we're now having to rethink who we are as separate people. I mean, it's a horrible phrase and you can find a nicer way to say it. Like my husband moved on and now that gives me the opportunity to to reinvent myself, maybe is an easier way to say it. When we reclaim our story as something that not only, it doesn't have to be positive, but it's something that doesn't put us as the victim or as the um, someone who's been cheated or someone who's been um, ripped off in some way, if we can say, well, I didn't like what happened yesterday. I didn't like what you did. I didn't like what I did. And wow, what an opportunity to learn and do it differently in the future. My goal is a year from now, 
that that kind of interaction we just had would be impossible in whatever relationship either of us is in. I mean, just being able to take a little more um, power from it to um, to see ourselves as creators of our own life and our own um, storyline. I mean, we're co-creators, right? I mean, you're helping me create my storyline at this moment. But yeah. we can have, be a goodwill and say, well, what a wonderful um, show this is that you're creating. And I'm so lucky to be here and get to have this conversation with you. I'm going to record that as a testimonial. <laughs> I'm <Yes>. just kidding. <laughs> Put it out there. It's right. It's true. But, but, but uh, and, and, and what you're saying is so true. What comes to my mind is the more I live this life, the more I realize that there is no objective reality. We're all living subjective realities, our own versions of our narrative. Um, and in that process, we can actually creatively visualize. It might not affect their reality, but it does affect our reality. In that process, yeah. it affects our collective reality as well. Right. right? And also... Yeah, and it's the, not just visualization. We can do actions that support the reality we're, invent we're inviting in. We can, um, you know we can show up with tenderness and love and support whether other people think we're fabulous or not. And when we do that, of course, that signals to other people to treat us as wonderful and fabulous and great. I mean, we're, we're signaling all the time to people how to treat us. And so those of us who grew up, you know, not liking ourselves very much, putting ourselves down, feeling we were inadequate um, or broken, we, we, broadcast that message to others because we want them to be careful not to hurt us. But in trying not to hurt us, they're also not giving us opportunities to not be broken and to not be, um, you know, what we're putting out there. And I think that one of the most damaging aspects of our culture right now is, is the question we ask over and over and over, what's wrong and how can I fix it? What's wrong? How can I fix it? You go to the doctor. What's wrong? What can we give you to fix it? And if we could just even shift it to what's needed and how can I help you supply it, which is a much kinder thing, question, we would do things very differently. If you think you're broken, you're going to work on yourself constantly. You're going to do energy medicine if you can. You're going to take other medications. You're going to have chronic symptoms because when you ask what's wrong, you get information about what's wrong. So your body comes up with symptom after symptom and evidence after evidence of what's wrong. And somehow we forget to cultivate the what's rightness about ourselves. And everybody's got something beautifully right about them. And if the people around them just did the criticism and the negative feedback or, or told them they were too fabulous and they didn't believe it, then we lose track of this exciting project we have to create a self. And myself is different from yourself. I'm creating something really amazing. And so are you, but we're not all generic. We're not all identical. We're not creating a generic human that some objective um, measure can tell us if we're doing a good job. You know, what I need to create is taking the energies that I'm given and the gifts that I'm given and playing the music of my soul on this instrument. And you might be a very different instrument and you've got to play the music of your soul. And so it is about cultivating, well, how could I play those notes a little better for my own satisfaction? 
Or can I appreciate that 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 sour note I just played was spectacularly awful and laugh about it and try again? I mean, when you play an instrument, you have to be willing to make some ugly sounds to get to the skill level to make the beautiful sounds, too. And it's a trial and error and making mistakes. And I I just think we lose that. We try to be perfect all the time because our culture comes down on us if we're in all the ways we're not perfect or adequate or, you know, we're in competition all the time. If you aren't good enough, you lose out. And all of that stuff just wears us down and it makes us chronically ill. And over 60% of Americans are chronically ill. And despite all the medicine, all the, you know, all the medic medicine and how far Western medicine has come in, in its, um, toolkit and stuff, we're sicker than ever. But we're sicker because we don't practice what it means to be well. That's that's very true. In a way, it's good and bad because a lot of our listeners, uh, you know, people who listen to our show are learning to be more or learning to develop more breath awareness and energy awareness. And once you go down that pathway, of becoming more mindful of how you breathe and how you, how, you know, uh, how you know, the energies that you're sensing, you become mindful of how the words that you use influence your life and the reality around you. And that can be challenging also because you realize and you notice all these subliminal messages that are going on in the music that we listen to, in mainstream media. And it feels almost as if people are using certain words to control you and to limit you to a certain way, right? Like, like you, like you pointed out, we we live in a world where you're either a winner or you're or a loser. And if you win, what are you doing? You're crushing it. You're killing it. Right. Right. You crushed it. You right. killed it. Right. You, you right? right. But the words and are why would what. That you, be a win? Yeah. Why would that ever be a win? Right. So yeah. it's like it's it's kind of weird as well because then you notice all these different words that are subliminally feeling feeding you ideas and keeping you where you where you're at, or or influencing you in ways that do not serve the growth and evolution of your soul. Would you say that? Yeah, yeah. It's, I think it's a wonderful observation, and I think that where I'm headed with this work and your body will show you the way is that you know it's it is words that have a lot of power power for sure, and everything we choose has a lot of power to construct a better reality. And so when you wake up you to, you know, oh, all these words that are so, um, so much programming, then you ask, well, who, who am I going to invite to program today? How about me? Why don't I put some good programming in? Why don't I, that's, you know, when you ask your stomach ache and you get Hector instead of, you know, stomach cancer as a name, all of a sudden, you're building a relationship with Hector and you're able to um, not only rename it, but um, start to say, what do I want to bring in that is my programming? And, you know, not just counter programming. It's not just saying affirmations, but it's waking up to all the ways in which your your um, being, your body, your mind and your spirit are really kind of fun. I mean, you know, we come here to be embodied, to experience this stuff and we can play with it and we can have fun. So when I get someone who says, oh, I work on myself two hours a day and they look so heavy and I'm still sick and I don't know what to do. The answer is, well, you know, maybe you need to learn how to play 
because as creatures, you know, you look at cats and dogs, they still play when they're old. They love to play. And that's how they learn and grow and express their nature. And we get that programming that says, get serious. You've got to, you've got to win so you can crush things. And so, yeah, I think that that's part of awakening. And what I'm trying to bring into the conversation is that um, it's not just meditation, which I love. I love um, that kind of meditation. And it's not even just yoga or those traditional practices. But in every moment, we have an opportunity to creatively um, choose not our reality. I mean, I'm dependent on you to have a good interview here, but we get to choose what we bring to the conversation and how we interpret what happens in the conversation. So for people who are waking up, and a lot of people are right now, you do, when you wake up, like when you turn the light on, what's the first thing that happens? You see the dust bunnies, right? You turn the light really bright and immediately see all the dust in the corners. But we have to get past seeing the dust bunnies to say, what does this stronger light allow me to appreciate? and see, and know, and when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And live, you know, and get it from within rather than from stimulants or from, yeah, the stimulants of music or other people's creations. And and getting back to the basic equipment of breath and movement and smiles, you know, I mean, if you smile, it's really hard for your energy to to sink it it causes the energy i mean if you smile like a maniac and it's all fake no but when you can come up with something to laugh at you know make make a joke out of something not fun of some, making fun of someone but making it fun you can take something that's a disaster and laugh about it and then the energy of it's totally different yeah <laughs> Side note, why do villains in movies laugh so much? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's so weird. The culture is presenting laughter as as kind of um, evil. Would you say that? Suspect. Right. Because the villain is always laughing, right? Like, ha, 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 ha. Whereas the hero is very serious. It's not true joyful laughter. It is is kind of a power over. You know, it's saying, I'm making fun of you. I'm belittling you by laughing at you. So, yeah. That's true. But again, I mean, the whole culture is keyed to be an outside in, very top down, very much. They are going to define us. Mm -hmm. They, whoever they are, you know, the world is going to define us. And we do that to our children and, you know, we participate in it. We, we, we take in messages from the world and we apply them to ourselves. I, can I tell, I have a little funny story. Um, I had somebody who really hated my guts. She was my partner's ex and she really hated my guts. And um, I felt very threatened by her because we lived in the same town and, and she was very angry and very kind of creepy. So I went to this meditation retreat once 
And I noticed, and it was a silent meditation. I'm sitting there meditating and I'm hearing her. I'm practicing over and over how to deflect her anger and her hatred. And, and then about three days in, I thought, wait a second, she's not here. She is not at this meditation retreat. She's not doing a thing to me. If I've brought her into this space, it's because I'm inviting her energy to be my reality. And I said, what can I do instead? And I, you know, I, I switched to something else. I said, you can sit here, you can say what you want, but I'm going to, I'm going to shift to something that is a, um, a different place in my awareness. And I did. And when I came out of that meditation retreat, that person never bothered me again. She could say really nasty things. And I think, well, you know, I don't have to take you to my next retreat. <laughs> you know, as soon as I'm out of this, I'm not going to have to listen to you or think about you. I stopped giving her the power to define me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what a, what a great teacher she was. I, I was glad I took her to my meditation retreat so I could learn that. That's powerful. That's powerful. One thing I wanted to mention is, like you sort of implied earlier on, uh, you know, sometimes the uh, medicine industry likes to put names or give us a particular name and then find a solution and say, you take this, you take this medicine, you're going to be all right, you're going to be all right. But still, people are not, uh, you know, cured because I feel that the energetics is missing. And for the longest time, if you think about it, people said that depression was a chemical imbalance and that to balance you, that you need something right but these uh, most recently earlier this year major news publications in, including psychology today began saying that depression is not caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain and that so many other factors such as daily stressors or you know genetics or some other factor might be resulting in what we quote unquote called depression. So what are your thoughts on that? And what are the energetic origins of what we call depression? What do you, what, what? <laughs> okay. Yeah, good question. Big one again, but good question. Yeah. I mean, one thing we don't understand in our culture is that energy influences our chemistry. So if we, but chemistry doesn't necessarily influence our energy, uh, you know, to heal it. So if I use my energy, I can shift my chemistry. Um, and, and you can measure it even, you can measure the chemistry before and after you can measure blood pressure. You can, you know, there's lots of things you can measure to say, oh yeah, she has the chemistry of someone who's depressed. Boom, boom, boom. I shift the energy. Oh yeah. The chemistry's changed. So when Western medicine tells us, um, we need to take chemicals in order to heal our imbalances, it's saying it doesn't believe that energy communication happens. We, our bodies communicate two ways, chemical communication and energy communication. And because we cut ourselves off from the energy, which we can influence and, and participate in, I'm not a chemist. So other than, you know, taking a weird cocktail of things I shouldn't be taking, I can't influence the chemistry and no, neither can chemists, it turns out very well. I mean, they can suppress things, but they're not very good at healing using the chemistry. Sometimes they can shut the messenger up and it'll come out a different way. So what we need to know about depression is that it is your, it is either um, in energetic terms, your energy has fallen below a threshold of functioning or it is so glommed and, and um, jammed that nothing can move. It's like either a traffic jam in your energy or your energies have fallen below a threshold or both. 
It can be both. And so in order to work with um, depression, what you need to do is get your energies moving the way they're designed to move. And Donna Eden teaches a lot of wonderful exercises to do this. And I teach a lot of wonderful exercises to do this. And so does some of the other teachers out there. And it's and the thing is, because the culture is so outside in, everything's an object, right? So they call it depression. And they believe that it's a generic thing, that depression is a thing. It's not. It's a description of, of something you may be feeling, but this person who calls what they're feeling depression may be feeling a whole different cocktail of stuff. And this person over here who says, I'm depressed, theirs isn't identical either. So when we take these names for things and we say it's generic, depression is a thing, cancer is a thing, um, gallbladder disease is a thing, it comes from, I think, uh, a misunderstanding in, in um, our culture that says that we are all generic human being is a generic thing and we're all competing to who can be the best human, right? Because that, that goes with it. And if you say, if you look, go to the zoo, you don't say every animal is the same. You don't say what's right for the polar bear should be right for the snake because you see that they're not the same. But with human beings, we've, we've bought into this notion that we're this generic thing called a human being. And so that they can objectify us, they can study us, they can come up with treatments that, and they're approved if they work for a majority of people. But in fact, I don't need a medicine that works for a majority of people. I need something that works for me. I can be, you know, the 0.1000001% of the generic, and it'll still work a hundred percent for me. So I think that the problem with depression is rather than looking at what are the dynamics of how you construct yourself and how your energies move and how your body moves and, and gets fueled, they're trying to attack this thing they call depression by either doing the Alice in Wonderland thing of bring the energy up, bring it down, you know, yep, yep, the chemistry, you know, that drink me and take it up, drink me and take it down. Or they're saying it's a psychological phenomenon. And again, they're kind of um, putting you in a box of what it is. It And you were the one who mentioned words, and it was so true. If we only use the word depression, we miss that it could be frustration. It could be rage. It could be yearning. It could be love that's gone backwards. It could be um, confusion. It could be failure to connect or disconnection. It could be befuddlement. I mean, there are a hundred words that might be more accurate for what you're calling or your doctor is called depression. And if we don't unpack that and find out with more precision, what is our truth in that moment or in that experience, then we're at the mercy of somebody's weirdo treatments that aren't about us. Yeah, that's very true. And I think the bigger problem that it creates also all these staples and labels is that it uh, creates an identity for that person. A person who is experiencing depression is different from a person who is a depressed human being. A person who is experiencing depression right now might be experiencing depression right now. It's good to feel sadness and um, uh, down sometimes, but then it makes for a pathway to experience the highs of life, like excitement and jubilation and triumph, because there's ups and downs. You can't remain happy all the time, but if you're depressed, and you feel that something's wrong with you. There's somebody that I know at Starbucks. I go to Starbucks a lot. I do my work sometimes. And he's telling me, he restarted me for some career advice. And he said, he told me that he's got 
ADHD. And he said that I want to do coding, but I can't. It's, 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 I got ADHD. I said, that's true, but then don't limit yourself, right? Because the emerging studies that are find, that we're finding out nowadays makes you feel much more empowered, right? Like you pointed out, doesn't put these labels on you. And for me, particularly, I can just speak for myself. Whenever I feel sad, if I, I feel down, I feel that, uh, you know, there are no solutions out there. I just do a breathwork session and a cold shower. Like I, I wired my body to seek cold whenever I feel down. And it's amazing how I feel once I come out. You know, my, my brain is rewired. Now, I know it might not work for everybody, but we are subjective human beings. and We need to find out what, what works for us, right? And maybe it works for the other person, but they'll not know unless you share what's working for you. Yeah. And we do need to experiment because not for some people, it will be the warm shower and holding their breath for five <laughs> minutes, you know, for a lot of, of seconds and, and just stopping their breathing until it renormalizes. So, yeah, I think that's just so important. And when you start with a label like ADHD, you've already objectified what's going on for you so that you can't find out what your truth is. And so often when a client comes to me and says, I've got, I've, you know, I've been diagnosed with ADHD. My job isn't to say, oh yeah, that's what you got. You know, it's not to validate or invalidate. It's to say, well, what's, how does it behave in your body? And, you know, he might say, well, I can't concentrate. So then we look at, well, are there places you can concentrate? Mm -hmm. And, you know, usually they say, yeah, I can, I can concentrate when I'm doing, um, when I'm doing, uh, video games. I just can't concentrate when I'm in school. And it's like, well, what's the interest level for each one? Which one are you more interested in? And so it's like, oh, when you're interested, you can concentrate when you're not interested, you're not. Or when there's a lot of adrenaline, when it's exciting, you can concentrate. So maybe we need to look at what's happening with your adrenaline and your relationship to it. Maybe you've got a little bit of adrenaline addiction that we can, we can look at and work with. And they might say, well, you know, I, um, I can't get organized. And then we say, well, what does organization looks like, look like when it's at home? Yeah. And what, whose organization can't you get? Is it your personal organization or is it somebody else's way of doing it? Is it possible you need to do things backwards or sideways in order to feel organized and someone's asking you to go beginning to end? And the fact is our minds are so, again, unique as a thumbprint. They're so different. And um, and process things differently and our, our bodies process experience differently. If we don't learn what our processor is and how to work with it and fall in love with it and play with it and take advantage of it, then we are at the mercy of these labels that say we're inadequate and we can't fit in. And, you know, I think people like Tempe Grandin, who, who's um, autistic, has has Temple Grandin, I guess her name is, she just has done some amazing pioneering work in just figuring out what her body and mind need in order for her, her to use her prodigious gifts in a world that would never let her work that way or be that way. Yeah. And I think we have some, some people coming into our world who are trailblazers of that, where they really are different. They really think differently. But they learn to to take advantage of it in a as a positive, rather than seeing it as a deficit. That's very true. And I think if there's one thing that uh, could encourage our listeners today is to embrace their uniqueness, 
because a lot of times we are really uh, challenged and judged based on how we conform or not conform. But what the truth is, like you pointed out, we live in a jungle. We we are part of the jungle. We're not unique beings. And because we are part of the jungle, you can be a monkey and you can be a fish and you can be an elephant. But if you ask an elephant to race a cheetah, it's probably going to lose that race. But the elephant is so strong and so mighty and so unique that, uh, you know, there's no point in comparison. And so, right, right, right. And I think that the trick becomes, okay, we can say you have to appreciate your uniqueness. We can say you have to learn how your gifts work. But unless some of us spell out some ways to do that, mm-hmm. people get lost. And, and that's what I tried to do in my books is just give lots of little simple things you can do that help you figure out what your truth is in this context or in this situation or with this, this use of energy and really get an understanding of the energetic communications of the body as opposed to the chemical. Because um, we've got to get off that medical model and, and, and pathologizing ourselves all the time medically and say, you know, it's not a pathology to give birth and it's not a pathology to age and it's not a pathology to make mistakes it's spectacularly human and let's let's share what we're learning from making those mistakes rather than trying to hide it and look perfect and block ourselves from from being effective so mm-hmm. i i'm really interested in in not just the what but the how can we do that and reclaim this instrument and and i think energy medicine just offers so many amazing tools and energy medicine and spiritual practice i kind of lump them together as 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 a whole family one of the things i want to normalize on our podcast is having um spiritual and maybe some bizarre or some weird uh, you know experiences or maybe synchronicities and i know that you've had your fair share what would you say was the most bizarre or strange <laughs> synchronicity that you came across and that really you began to think, you know what, this cannot be a coincidence. This has to be a synchronicity. And maybe that, you know, played a played a role. Because even the smallest experiences sometimes can, you know, place a seed in our in our mind and open up open us up to so much more possibility, right? So what was that in your case? Boy, it's hard to think what's the most bizarre one because I've had so many. <laughs> what happens, I think, when you start um, being trained spiritually by your inner teachers or through your practice is that you start to feel the lines of connection and, and interconnection between things. And you, you start to perceive things that kind of resonate together that, that wouldn't normally light up. Um, and I remember when I was first um, working with my inner teachers, I mean, even in the first couple months, um, I was I was in school at the time and I was walking down the street thinking, I need to get a job one day a week. I'm I'm behind my computer, or I guess it was a typewriter in those days. And I'm just, I need to get out and I need a job one day a week. Not so much for the money, but just to see people. And I walked in this, I saw for the first time, I noticed there was this new age bookstore. So I said, oh, I'm going to check it out. So I walked in the bookstore and I'm looking around and the guy looks up at me and he says, you don't happen to need a job one day a week, do you? And I said, why, yes, I was just thinking that very thing. And he said, well, because I need someone one day a week when I'm not here and I can't pay you much, but I can give you, I pay you in books. So he did. And I started um, that 
brought me into contact with people who had been trained in different spiritual traditions. And I'd been trained by my inner teachers. So I started to really be able to correlate what I was learning with what other people have had said or learned or experienced on their path. And it was a very um, important synchronicity that was almost ridiculous in its specificity, right? You don't happen to need a job one day a week, but that happened to me a lot, a lot. And, um, I do actually talk about that a little in in the book, too, about some moments of synchronicity that wake you up to some larger patterns in you and how to how to work with those larger patterns when you start to recognize them happening. So what is it about your state at that point that you feel in retrospect, in hindsight, led to that synchronicity? Was it conscious that you did some maybe journaling or intention setting or maybe you uh, set your state in such a way where you were joyful and happy and, uh, you know, uh, positive in terms of your energy that led to that? No, was it, I, was well, your I karma? <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, I didn't consciously do any of that. I just was thinking, well, it would be nice to have a job. I mean, it was just a random thought mm-hmm. that quickly became reality. So I have two explanations. Either I'm very psychic and I picked up that the guy needed someone and and went in there. But I don't think that's quite it. I really feel that we have what I call a web of connections. We're like the fish. I mean, yeah, we're like fish. We're like bees. We're like um, dolphins. We're like um, wolves. We're even like trees in that we have a collective consciousness. We have a swarm or herd or, um, you know, or a hive worth of, of connections. And so there are these communications that happen between us and other people. And they're not all local. Sometimes they're on the other side of the planet. Um, And because we're not conscious of those communications, when they become more obvious to us, like we, we connect in with a node of someone that we, we need to meet. We say, Oh my God, synchronicity. Oh my God, what a coincidence. No, it's these two lines of, of energy and nature coming together and, and meeting. So that's what I think of it is. I I mean, I might not be right, but that's what I think of it as. But it's not, I think a lot of times in New Age culture, there's this notion that we have to control our reality. And good luck with that. I mean, you know, we have to visualize what we want. We have to create the image and we have to, you know, the vision board. And, and, you know, I'm not making fun of people who do this, but I think that um, it can be much lighter that we're selecting from the realm of possibilities and weaving as we go. And I was walking down the street and I'm thinking I need this and a possibility came up and I said, Oh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Now it could have been that I said yes to the job, did it. Tw- I could have done it two days and said, Oh, I hate this. I hate this guy. I hate this bookshelf bookstore. I don't want to be here. It could have been a mistake too. But since I didn't have a lot of invested in it, it wasn't supposed to prove anything. It was just something I thought I wanted and it came along um, that one happened to work out. I've had lots of synchronicities that didn't work out where something just felt really right and true and turned out once I tried it on for size, wasn't right and true. And, you know, I think with the inner guidance, I had to learn, you know, I got really clear guidance at one point that moving to, to the Netherlands was the really right thing to do. I had an opportunity and it was like, yes, that's your next path. Yes. That's where your path goes. I got there it was an extremely difficult, painful four years of my life because it was a real mismatch between the culture. This isn't anything against the Netherlands. It was a mismatch between the culture 
and what I needed. And, um, and I had a lot of learning from it. So would I say that was a right choice? I mean, I, I got a lot out of it, but I wouldn't recommend it to the next person as, as a, as a top choice, that experience that I had. So, yeah. Um, Anyway, I think it's not about controlling. I do think that we are constantly weaving our webs of connection like a spider. And you see a spider and sometimes she connects to the hot tub and you come out and you lift the the roof of the top of your hot tub and there goes the spider web. You know, she's not always right. She's doing what she can. But we do have these spidey senses that we use all the time that I think it's good to become more conscious of. I got a chapter on that. I have a chapter on a lot of this stuff. So. Um, I think we can work with it joyfully and consciously, but not in a controlling kind of way. When we try to control it, usually backfires in my experience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as you might agree, we right now live in a world where we are experiencing rapid and accelerated change. Uh, examples of this include um, technology, the growth of artificial intelligence and machine learning. Um, you know, uh, people like Elon Musk are already talking about Neuralink, where they're able to install a chip in our brain that then allows us to merge more closely with uh, with artificial intelligence. Maybe at a certain point, there'll be a point where there'll be no you know, difference, visibly at least, between a human being and, and, and artificial intelligence. And also, it feels like uh, there's a lot of warmongering that's going on where there is a ego boost from you know both sides all, all different countries it feels like uh, that's all of that is happening also and that is influencing people that's influencing prices and inflation and jobs and supply and ultimately people's minds because people are stressed as a result of this so what does all of this mean for uh, our human spiritual revolution or spiritual evolution Well, I really see this um, change that we're going through, not just in details and in technology, although it's there, as a sea change, as that as it's, you know, one of those every 10,000 year kind of shifts where we're moving out of a very outside in young, um, top down way of seeing ourselves and seeing um, our, our life on this planet and shifting to bring up the yin, bring up the, what I call empowered yin. And it's not passive. Mm-hmm. It is inner wisdom that connects us with all of humanity. So when we make our choices, we make choices on behalf of ourselves and of the collective. So it's that swarm intelligence that we have, that we don't use so much, <laughs> many of us. Um, and I feel that that's rising, whether we want it to or not. And so um, we need to evolve our bodies and our minds and our to um, to navigate that, not just to to manage within it, but to to travel more comfortably in a very different kind of world. I mean, when he talks about putting a chip in so you can talk to a machine, I laugh because I've been talking to machines my whole life. You know, I've been tuning into them, and you know, it's just something that nobody ever told me I couldn't. So. I can talk to my car and often I can, you know, unlock a lock that's stuck or something because I can kind of tune into it. It's just, I mean, it's a weirdo thing to be able to do. um, And I don't recommend it as something to try for, but I laugh at the visions that are there of what we could accomplish. Because think about if the vision were that we could accomplish universal kindness 
and universal um, choices that allow each person to be fully human and ways of living on the planet that are sustainable and um, that support not just human life, but all life. I mean, that would be a real accomplishment. And so some of these, like, I was going to insult it and say boys and toys, some of these billionaires that have their their phallic-shaped toys that they want to send out, if they took that money and spent it on really helping um, children to learn and, and develop, not learn from outside, but really develop their gifts, um, just think of who and what we could be. So I think those of us that have a different vision of where we can go as, as a collective, um, if we do our bit to, to make ourselves the instrument we want to be, and we want to be the change we want to see, whatever that phrase is, I really feel that um, we don't have to be at the mercy of people who have a vision, but it's really uh, blinded around technology and and outside in top down thinking. And, um, you know, I sort of feel like it's a, it's a mission for those of us who are spiritual to, to say, how can we empower people from within and stop trying to power over and, you know, force people by, by battling for the narrative. If you live a different narrative, if enough of us live a different narrative, it's going to take on critical mass and be much more appealing than the narrative of, you know, how soon can we get those chips? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely true. Uh, I think Elon Musk as a billionaire is uh, eccentric uh, in a way, but he's different from the others. That's what, that's what I feel at least, because at least he's thinking about, um, you know, uh, the fact that there might be a World War Three, and if that happens, that's the end of humanity. So, well, Mars is one other option so that at least the seed of humanity is not you know, wiped out. Yeah. I kind of uh, go the other way and say, how can we avoid World War Three and take a different path? <laughs> yeah. I don't, you know, it's like, instead of saying that's inevitable, yeah. say what co-creates that and how can I counteract <laughs> it with things that are preferable, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, Ellen, you also write about streams and visiting streams. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, one of the inner teachers, most of my inner teachers, as I said, were kind of nondescript, but I, um, I kind of started my healing practice accidentally. I didn't set out to be a healer, yeah. but my, I got very sick. And in the process of healing, I found out I could, I could see what was going on in my body. And um, the practitioner invited me to come work in her office as a medical intuitive. And so I, within a couple of weeks of starting that practice, people started calling for appointments and I had a practice and I had to listen to inner guidance because I was not yet trained in any other modalities. And one day I was working in my practice room and I looked up and there was this old Chinese gentleman. He was a, um, a spirit and it was kind of a stereotypical old Chinese gentleman, like long beard, long robe. And he said, um, you know, he said, take a gold needle and put it right there. And he, and the, it lit up on the client. And he said, take a silver needle and put it there. And I put it in and did what he said. And the client said, are you doing acupuncture on me? And I said, why do you ask that? And she said, because it feels just like when I'm at the acupuncturist. And, um, and so I had to follow that guidance. I forgot what the question was because I got lost in my story. Remind me what streams. the question is. Oh, the streams. So, okay. So after I did this, 
this, what I call ghost acupuncture for a while. One day he said, enter the stream. And I looked down and I saw the pathway of what I now know is a meridian. I just saw this pathway on her body. And because he said it was a stream, I said, okay. And I just sort of took my consciousness and jumped in and looked around me. And I just saw all this stuff and I could see, oh, look, that part is blocked over there. There's a beaver dam that I've got to help clear out. And, oh, look, there's the trees and, you know, they're leaning into the water. Maybe we've got to trim them. And I just could see a lot of things that were needed. And I just did the work that I saw in front of me and came back out at the end of the session. And the client said, whoa, I felt a lot happening. And I didn't know what it was. And we did that for a few sessions. And what we discovered was she was there because she had cancer and her cancer went into remission. And it was like, okay, this is cool. This is weird. But the concept is that when you go to where energies live, when they're out of balance or when they're needing something and you go and do that work where they live, you often can have a massive effect, even on the physiology of the situation, on the body, on an illness that is uncurable. And, you know, I've been doing this work for almost 40 years now. I've had a practice for almost 40 years. And um, I have seen client after client who is able to heal themselves from um, unhealable conditions, things that were supposed to be, um, you know, a, a death sentence for them. They've healed it by going in and working within and working with their energies. <clears throat> so I call that concept, enter the stream. And there's a particular set of activities you can do that teach you how to enter the stream. And it doesn't have to just be the, um, the meridians. You can also enter an organ and do work there. And so I, I teach in the book some ways to, to do that, that style of, of energy medicine. Earlier in this interview, you were talking about uh, using a certain technique or method to work with the chakras, right? Would you like to share that right now? Yeah. Since your, your program is called by seven chakras, I thought maybe <laughs> your listeners would know what chakras are. Too often when we learn something that is a system that other, other cultures have used, like chakras or meridians or aura, we, we learn it again from what other people say about it rather than from our own experiential base. So people learn to, to clear chakras and, you know, there's different ways to do it. Uh, Donna Eden has some great methods for doing it that she discovered that I think are wonderful. But one thing that I found is that the chakras really have a lot of information. So this goes back to what we were talking about of how do you get information from the guidance system in your body that besides just in your head. So it's called fishing in the chakras. And I'm going to invite people to do it with me. I'll just talk you through it. What you're going to do is you're going to ask for insight. So the phrase is something like, give me insight into, and you can change it however you want. But give me insight into something you want to know more. It might be an illness or a symptom. It might be a relationship issue, something at work, something you want to get more insight from. And you're just going to choose one of your chakras. And there's seven ch major chakras that, that you know people teach. So I'm not going to teach them here. You can Google them. But let's just say go into either your, your third chakra at your belly or your fourth chakra at your heart for now. And what you're going to do, this is called fishing in the chakras, because you're just going to take your fishing line and you're just going to throw it in to the chakra. Like So, so it's almost like the chakra is a fishing hole. And I sometimes use the motion of, of casting 
my rod into the, the chakra and just wait a second and see what you catch on your fishing fishing pole on your on your hook and then see pull it out keeping your question in mind of give me insight engine pull it out and don't judge it just say what did i just pull out okay so i just pulled out a big box of kleenex <laughs> it, you know so it can be an image it can be a thought it can be a it can become in lots of different forms just notice it you might want to set that aside or jot it down and throw your fishing line back in or you may want to stop and say, well, relative to my question, what's this box of Kleenex telling me? So say my question was, give me insight into why I feel so estranged from this friend of mine. Well, what comes up is the Kleenex. And I'm thinking, well, maybe I need to just have a good cry and just see what I'm sad about. Maybe I feel estranged because I have, I've got some sorrow blocking me. Or maybe, you know, my nose is running because I'm allergic to them. You know, I have to, you have to unpack the meaning. But you just do that over and over. Tap, you know, fishing in the chakras for information on that situation. And it's a wonderful, rich way to get beyond what your brain can come up with as thoughts and explanations when you ask for guidance. Too often the brain cuts off real guidance and, and, you know, inserts, oh, you just need to do such and such. And it's the advice we get from our culture. So it's a wonderful way to play with um, accessing the wisdom of the chakras. That was amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sure our listeners now have some uh, a new technique that they can try and experiment with in order to gain some insight and some wisdom based on the type of questions they are asking. Now, uh, as we sort of uh, sum up, as we come to a close for today's session, um, Ellen, one of the challenges that people tend to have is that they read a book or maybe they take a program and they see action or they take action and they see results uh, only for those results to be short-lived. Does that sound familiar, right? But a lot of times we want that uh, long-lasting change, right? How can... Um, energy medicine or our approach shift our identity so that we make that shift at an identity level and the chances of us falling back into our old belief systems or our old ways of thinking is less because nobody wants a change only to fall back right because then it becomes self-defeating then it's like what's the point i do it and then i come back to my old ways so what are your thoughts around that yeah, and that's why I don't believe in setting up like seven point programs for people for change or any of this. And I'm not again, I'm not making fun of fellow authors who've chosen to do that. Right. But I really think that it's not a program. It is about how do I communicate with myself? How do I interact with myself? How do I encounter and meet myself moment by moment, day by day? So it's an awakening that happens where what am I saying to myself right now? Would I say it to another person? Mm -hmm. Am I saying something meaner to me than I would say to someone else? Am I saying something more critical? And so with energy medicine, it's not about finding the perfect exercise that will shift us once and for all. It's about saying, I get the message from my body, from my mind, my spirit right now, and I'm going to respond appropriately. I'm going to be in constant relationship and conversation between my body, mind, and spirit. I'm going to participate always, or as always as I can, and in as many ways as I can, with 
the constant creation of self with the body, mind, and spirit that's constantly making choices and creating me. I just want to be a participant, my conscious mind. And it's not about fixing what's wrong, and it's not about shifting your beliefs. It's just about showing up. Show up, tune in, connect in, and then let your imagination and your mind and your spirit and your heart and everything good within you suggest creative ways to participate and have fun. And when you do that enough times, what happens is that when you're not doing that, it really feels um, dissonant. It really feels like, oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm just faking it right now. I'm not living my life. I'm just doing something to get some, get it done. And so it becomes not a habit in the sense of now I can make sure I never make a mistake. It becomes something we choose over the habits of cutting off from ourselves, disconnecting, letting other people tell us our truth, not participating. It, it is, it's a basic shift in, um, in who we relate to and how. And so if we can't relate into our own body, mind, spirit, we're not probably relating to anyone else either. Not really. We're not, you know, so it's just things you can try and, and energy medicine is a good way to get there and play is a good way to get there and exploration and having fun with it and not having it be so serious, you know, not feeling like you have to get your chakras balanced and hold their balance or else you'll always be sick, but saying, well, what's in the fishing hole today? Can I throw in the line and see what, what's in there for me today? And it's, it kind of gets addictive. You kind of want to know what your body has to say. And then it, it doesn't become a discipline. It's just, it's just a friendship that brings so much delight. You return to it again and again. And that, that's, I think, um, how you get lasting change is by letting yourself say, how do I want to do things in my life for myself and doing them that way? And I'll tell you what, those seven part programs where I have to deprive myself of foods and then I have to, you know, force myself to sit when I don't want to sit. And then I have to do this I don't want to do. And then I have to do this thing that someone said and eat this disgusting, you know, potion that someone told me is good for me. That is not going to win friends in terms of your relationship with your body. So it doesn't ultimately work because it's not you're not cultivating. You're not taming the self that wants to be in relationship. Awesome. Thanks a lot for sharing all of that, which you've shared, the stories, the anecdotes, uh, the tips, the approaches, and also encouraging all of our listeners to listen to their intuition, trust their voice, ask better questions, and really engage in a dialogue uh, back and forth with their body because there's so much wisdom to glean and so much of life to live. We are not conforming to the norm, but we're realizing that all of us are individual uh, expressions of the divine and in that process we are unique in ourselves and we need to really uh, claim that and, and and own our uniqueness uh, yeah. before we go how can somebody listening to the show right now learn more about you and what is that one thing that you are grateful for today Okay, so um, how they can get in touch with me is my website ellenmeredith.com um, I also have a YouTube channel that's um, Energy Medicine with Ellen Meredith. So those are two places to find my work. Um, and my books are in any bookstore. 
<laughs> you can hear about, find out about them on my website. And then um, what I am grateful for today. Well, actually, at the moment, I'm just grateful that I got to talk with you. I, you know, it was like, well, that was that was fun. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's what I'm grateful for is that we got to have this conversation. And hopefully there'll be some ripples that that speak to someone else who's listening and do a little good in the world. My favorite experience is to go to a bookstore and say, I've interviewed that person. I've interviewed this person. I've interviewed that person. That's awesome. Uh, it's so it's such a fascinating uh, world that we live here where we're able to establish contact with individuals who are doing great work like yourself. Uh, so thanks a lot for sharing. We'll definitely have the link up in the show notes. Action Tribe, if you liked this episode, if you liked you know, the messages that were shared in this episode, then take a few minutes to write us an iTunes rating and review or uh, give us a rating on Spotify because that does something to the algorithm and it really helps uh, people know and get to know about our podcast. So the least that you can do, it's a free podcast, but make sure that you write us a, uh, a review and share your feedback with us. If you're on Instagram, then take a screenshot of this episode and tag me on Instagram. My handle is at my7chakras and your handle is? Oh gosh, Are you on I don't Instagram? know. <laughs> Instagram, I'm sure I've got one. I think it's energy medicine teacher, but I I don't use Instagram that much. So sorry. <laughs> Just search for her, you know, on Instagram or even visit her website, connect with her, make sure you do that. And Action Tribe, we've started our website. We're publishing a lot of content, written content, blogs and articles about breath work, about cold exposure, spirituality overall. Visit our website, my7chakras.com, my7chakras.com. Dot com. Ellen, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode, talking to us about how our body wants to communicate with us and taking us one step closer to a human revolution. Great. Well, thank you, AJ. It's been delightful to be here talking with you. Thank you for listening to My 7 Chakras at my 7 That is my S-E-V-E-N chakras.com Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.